This podcast is produced by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society. CDSS provides programs and resources like this podcast that support people in building and sustaining vibrant communities through participatory dance, music, and song. Want to support this podcast and our other work? Visit cdss.org to donate or become a member today. One and a half around. Now below one couple and forward six. Look around to the right when you balance. Look around to your right and you balance once again. Swing your partner. Hey there, I'm Mary Wesley, and this is From the Mic, a podcast about North American social dance calling. Nicely done. My guest today may be responsible for some of your most sublime contradancing experiences. Caller and choreographer Chris Page has led contras and English country dance as a local caller in San Diego for about 15 years. When calling, his main concern is being serious about dancers not taking themselves too seriously. As I mentioned, Chris also writes dances, some of which, he jokes, other people have even used willingly. But I can tell you there is almost always a cheer from the floor when I announce that I'm about to teach a Chris Page dance. With the help of Michael Dick, he's turned his obsession about the history of contradance choreography into something productive through the online database, The Caller's Box. When not calling, Chris lives in Los Angeles with his wife, Melinda, helping write Beast Academy math texts for bored elementary school students. Our interview was such a fascinating look into the mind of this incredible choreographer and cataloger of dance history. I'm excited for you to hear it. Here's Chris. Welcome to From the Mic. Thank you for having me. So good to see you and hear you. And so on this podcast, we're, you know, exploring all things caller related, kind of focusing on North American dance calling, Contra, Square, community dance. Uh, So I know that you as a caller got started in Glenside, Pennsylvania, and then kind of went to the West Coast. Yep. Um, So I'm excited to add some some sort of geographic perspective on this topic. Would you mind just starting by introducing introducing yourself as a caller? How did you come to, to that role? And, you know, what's also your connection with, you know, social dancing at large? Well, I didn't dance any at all, even random dance till I was over 30 and had a landlady uh, who did SCA dancing for the Renaissance stuff. And I kind of like that. I went with her, the person leading it, 
uh, ran a workshop at the Heritage Dance Festival in Greater Philadelphia, which was one of the spinoffs from NEFA. I don't think it exists anymore. And that's where I ran the other kinds of dance. I found some friends I knew from other activities. And I tried English country, I tried Scottish, I tried waltz, I tried to do contra, but everybody was booked ahead. And so I then found groups that did English country and did mostly waltz. And from there I found you really should try contra again. This would be about the end of 2001 and tried that and had a good time the first time. I got booked out of almost every single dance in the second time, but had some friends convince me to try it a third time and that worked. I liked it. I was interested in the choreography, and uh, that was a dance that Bob Isaacs went to regularly as well. And he started, he saw my interest, started discussing it some on the sides, went to a workshop with Jim Kitch after in 2002, where he said the best way to test your dances is call them. And Glenside had this, has this nice thing of, mo they have like 10 or 11 callers. So most of the evenings are open mic run by one caller where they do the first initial three dances and then organize everyone else. So I was able to do open slots, which was important because at that time I was on crutches due to an injury. So I couldn't actually dance. So this is a way of helping as well and starting to learn how to call. And they put up with me patiently for the first four or so and then saw I was serious. So people started interviewing. This is really how you need to learn to do stuff. And start with simple dances and that kind of stuff. And so I started calling maybe 14 months after I started dancing. That was an interesting quick transition, but it was because I couldn't dance, honestly. Yeah, that's kind of interesting that that, that particular circumstance maybe accelerated your, your path to the callers, Mike, a little yeah. bit. Can you enlighten me a little bit more about, so SCA, that's a, oh, the Society for... Oh, Society Anachronism. Yeah, they're a, they're a group that recreate creatively uh, stuff from 1600s, 1500s. And they have a number of groups, including sword fighting and crafts. And one of them is dance groups. And they do uh, early Italian dances, circle brawls from France, and a first edition play for it as well. Yeah, it's like a totally unfamiliar scene scene to me. So what what was it like and, and what, what did you like about it? Um, it was dance was interesting, uh, trying these older things and there were some neat patterns there. Some of the dances had storylines. The French dances are brawls where you basically you're in a circle, everybody's doing essentially a line dance on their own with various kicks and steps left and right. The Italian dances were court dances. So they were very fussy with particular footwork and they were just two or three people showing off. Um, and uh, ranging from simple to very elaborate patterns. And with some introduction to just doing footwork and connecting music and the very early um, set dances from English country play for uh, like uh, boatman, black nag kind of got grandfathered in hard seas, roughy tufty about a dozen others. 
So interesting. Yeah, it's just a, that's a um, a path into to dancing that I haven't heard yet. But it, I bet you're not not alone. That some yeah. people have branched out from going towards or away. Like I ran across a 2019 went to a Ren Fair, which is parallel to SCA, same sort of things, but they don't talk to each other much. And they were doing Renaissance dancing, and they had picked up the Larks Robbins terminology from contra dance. Wow. So some cross-pollination happening. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Nice. Um, well, I'm always interested in people's kind of like formative um, time, you know, coming into a, a, a dance scene or dance community and then kind of finding their way um, to the callers, Mike. And it, But it sounds like you had a particular influence of, of being interested in choreography and who better to cross paths with than the likes of, of Bob Isaacs and Jim Kitch. Yeah. Um, so can you can you talk a little bit more about like what sparked your, your interest there and how, um, uh, how that happened? I've always just been interested in creating stuff. And so I was seeing these patterns and I knew some of them, people were testing out dances that they said they'd just written or tried. So I knew it was an active thing. And I just tried writing some stuff on my own that was really bad. I tended to go towards the unusual. Like I remember one that I wrote that was like a four facing four that had a mirror hay for four that you go out in the promenade and at one point, the center four people just stand around for four beats. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it's something that's uh, best lost forever. <laughs> I try to. I don't know. I kind of, wow, I kind of like, I, I kind of love that. But <laughs> it's unconventional. Mirror, I mean, doing a mirror hay for four sometime might be nice in a four face four. But then going into the promenade requires a degree of everybody being in the right place and knowing what they're doing that would um, not work in most contra dance situations. Yeah, and then just after being interested with Jim Kitch, spent a, we spent an hour just writing a dance together in a group. And that was interesting just to hear some basic stuff like swing should end during a phrase at the end of a phrase and don't do too much stuff like that. So in your early calling days, um, kind of what was your repertoire and how how was your experience? Do you remember the first dance you called? Yeah, it was You Can't Get There From Here, which I described to Bob Isaacs the week before because he asked what it was. I couldn't remember the name, but I said it has this neat transition where you swing one person, you circle left three quarters, and you swing the next. Is that Carol Ormond? Yeah, that's Carol Ormond dance. Is that a twist on a Linda Leslie dance or is that her own? I I believe Carol's is first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm reasonably certain Carol's is first and then Linda Road. you can get there from here. And then there's, you might get there from here and you won't get there. there there's a, there's a number that spun off of that. All of the iterations. Nice. Yeah. How did, how did it go that first, that first um, one? I don't remember. That was the only dance I practiced the timing to by counting rather than actually having music. I think it was after that that I actually bought my first CD, which was uh, a contra dance CD of traditional contras from New England uh, and use that to practice for the others. And then how has your, you know, how has your role evolved um, as as a caller and a choreographer? Kind of how do you see yourself? Um, 
as a caller and a choreographer and also more historian of just right now just looking at various contradances just because I've, I've I've looked at so many callers box thing where I've gone through like 15,000 or so of them from all sorts of periods of time and different subcultures. Mm-hmm, that's amazing. So yeah, will you t- take us from kind of Glenside to the, then your move to the yeah. to the West Coast? Yeah, so Glenside I was regularly calling about once an evening and actually starting to write some dances that were good. And I did two half evenings with Bob and then moved to San Diego uh, for a new job. There was a weekly dance in San Diego with four local callers. And it's let me do a back to individual slots for another year. And then eventually started doing half evenings the next year. And at the second half evening, one caller was too tired to do the second half. So I just did the second half without, uh, without breaking a beat. And then I got into the regular rotation there. So that was an interesting thing where you have a dance with five local callers and you might have a visiting caller come through twice a year. So a local scene mainly. That was an interesting scene because some traditional dancers were called uh, call There were at least two callers that regularly did dances without any partner swing at all. And they had their own very distinctive repertoire. One was the old, more Ralph page type stuff. One Martha Wilde was all her own comp was like 70, 80% her own compositions. One was just random, whatever he picked up without looking at it. And one was more standard, would more consider the standard contradance repertoire if you go to various weekends and collect the better, easier stuff. And there was me just collecting, writing my own stuff and collecting stuff off of the internet and books. Yeah, so I don't don't know much about the San Diego scene. How, how much do you know about kind of the history of, of that dance? Uh, yeah, the San Diego scene was actually one of the earliest contra dances of the uh, Dudley Lofman diaspora. Uh, started around 1970. Um, at the moment, I'm forgetting who started, but by the time I got there, the original person had left and uh, a couple callers, Martha Wilde and Joanne Copani, and Harry Browser had taken over the reins in the early 90s. And then two other callers joined in, Graham Hempel, Steve Barlow, and Harry Browser moved away. It was local bands. And the interesting thing was the local bands were usually run by one of the callers, Martha or Joanne. So they would just look at the dances and pick a tune kind of thing. Attendance, it was a weekly dance. Attendance tended to be anywhere between 30 and 60 people with high variance over the years. Some years up towards 60, towards the end, late when I left, it was in the 20 to 30 range. It was held at a, a meeting hall of a Methodist church in near downtown San Diego. Because we're isolated from other dances, it was unusual to have a special band or special caller come through. Yeah. And so what did, what did that mean for kind of your experience as, as a dancer and a caller to be in that kind of a, a very localized. 
as a caller, it meant that I had to have a larger repertoire. Because if you're calling 10 or 11 times a year, if you call the same couple dances, there will be certain people that will notice. So yeah. finding a number of basic hay dances, simple dances, unusual dances, that was a thing. It also meant you really got to know the individual dancers. And there was no stage in a wireless mic, so you could walk around and help people as needed. It was a small dance kind of situation. It just strikes me as a as a unique experience to get to know one one place and one kind of group of dancers yeah. over time. Yeah. And it would be very rare for someone from Los Angeles to come down, for instance. Mm. Because without traffic, that's a two-hour drive. And also the callers were part of the rotation for managers because we needed them. And we were part of the rotation for sound techs because we needed them. Um, there was one really bad evening where every, people canceled and I wound up being manager, sound tech, and caller. And I don't want to repeat that night. Yeah, that's that's a lot of jobs to do at once. <laughs> yeah, I think I left around 1.30 in the morning. Oh my gosh. So it was very, very sort of all, all hands on, on deck yeah. experience. And you also call English, is that right? Yep. Yeah, I, I did English before I did Contra, um, both with the SCA group and with uh, the group in Philadelphia and Narberth, um, Germantown country dancers. And when I was joining, San Diego was just starting to get up a strong English country group under Ellen Riley. And I joined as a dancer and pretty soon she had headhunted me as a caller. So in the end, I was calling about, I was calling English and Contra about as much, nearly evenly split between the two. It, it's an interesting scene because people can take it more seriously. And the dances are different in the fact that Contra, the timing is pretty much pre-digested. If you just walk around, you'll get there in the right place. Whereas English Country, you might have three beats or six beats or 12 beats for a cast. So dancers, and you have to be aware of that. Also, the choreography, since English, there, at least in the United States, is heavily linked between this dance sequence and the music. Right. You can have a situation where people really like the music, but the dance is problematic or vice versa. And so that means, for me, I just throw the whole thing out. For others, it means you do either the dance or the choreography and just uh, endure, make the best of it or enjoy it. Whereas Contra, you can throw whatever tune to whatever dance for 99 point whatever percent of dances. Yeah, so I'd love to hear more kind of how you, uh, and for this podcast, you know, we're, again, we're kind of focusing on on North American traditions, yeah. con Contras and squares, but of course, very friendly to all, to all, all dance forms. <laughs> but I'd love to hear how you think about, you know, approaching, um, a, a regular, maybe even thinking about San Diego, just because I'm so intrigued by that local local dance scene. How would you approach calling an evening? How would you prep for it? Um, usually, well, the bands usually like the programs in advance, even if they were ones that I'd diverge from as uh, things went down, as they always do. Usually, uh, I have 
dance cards on four by six uh, index cards because that's how I started. So that's what I'm uh, stuck with. And I just throw them down on the floor. I pull out like 20 or 30 I might like and just try and arrange stuff with the first half and second half and try not to do repeated figures. I actually used highlighter pens to highlight certain moves on my cards with different colors. So cool. like purple is a balance is purple. So I get to see where are the purples or swing is orange. So where are the swings? It's green is circles, blue alamans, or are there too many alamans in this stretch? Occasionally I'd have a pair of, I do this dance or that dance, especially if it was a dance that I was looking to test out. And most evenings I'd be trying to test between one and five dances. So that, I guess that was part of the core of what do I want to test out or what new dance for someone else do I want to try? But, and then throw it all together and just uh, use caller's companion function to create the set and cut and paste all the instructions into a document and email it to whoever the band leader was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what is your interaction with the band? Sounds like there's, there's a pre-planning phase. Yeah, there's a pre-planning um, phase. Other than that, it was mostly, uh, we're going to start now and, uh, three times out and one time out. Um, once in a while for occasional bands, there might be a speed up, slow down. And of course the we're dying out here, kill it kind of thing. Um, uh, most of the other interaction they did most, they did the tune choosing. Completely. You wouldn't would would you have any kind of input or or descriptions to give them or you you no. would it be familiar bands that you knew them they knew you and familiar bands that knew them yeah I'm not really good part of this maybe not practice with like is this would be a dreamy or whatever kind of mood thing plus also with local bands so they just they tended to play it straight ahead their variances might be one instrument drop out kind of thing so it was more like what did the tune suggest as far as balance is or that kind of stuff or we'd like to play this tune kind of thing yeah it's you know i i I think everybody's approach is different and there is you know the simple fact i mean you pointed out the difference with contra versus english that there is that formulaic aspect of contra dancing that you know if, if the band is playing a 32 bar tune you can contradance to it. Yeah. So. And it'll be an interesting experience. You can certainly make, create ones that are bad, but um, yeah, usually you can, Eames a square peg, you can jam it into the hexagonal hole. Also, I'm not really good with music knowledge, understanding. I mean, people have pointed out to me the technical differences between a reel and a jig, and if they're really pointing out the time, I can hear it. But I actually can't tell if the band is playing a reel or a jig or a march. Yeah. And I mean, everybody has their, you know, their different areas of, you know, resonance and and expertise. And I'm 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 holding off going super deep into choreography just to talk a little bit more about calling in general. But I I definitely want to go there. Um, Uh, Your funeral. so you you mentioned you mentioned that often when you're prepping an evening you're you're also thinking about what dances you want to to test out and so what 
and I should also just acknowledge that, of course, we're we're in this odd time where dancing hasn't really been happening for over two years, and it's just barely starting up. So I know it's kind of odd to talk about it. It time is weird. Time I'm, is just I'm weird right I'm now. Understanding this weirdness of the, yeah, because if it was happening or as it was happening uh, right back in 2019, as if that were current present time. Right. Okay. Great. So I'm I'm just wondering how much um, what what is the relationship between calling and writing dances for you? Do you do you call mainly to learn more about? Um, how your choreography is writing? Do you enjoy calling it no, in of itself? You know, for itself. itself. I mean, for English country, for instance, I don't. I've written maybe four or five dances, and they've all been for special events. So I really like the calling. Um, yeah, helping people to do something really cool. Um, being present, and t- I'm also. I have a certain amount of innate teacher background. Via, I haven't been a formal teacher, but very much the teacher mindset of encouraging people to do stuff. So it's fun to help friends and community do this cool thing and be there up in the microphone and talking and uh, getting to be a big mouth kind of thing without being annoying or being a kind of thing, but just helping participate and also just my ideas for what might work and what might not just for programming what what about dances looks good and what doesn't because i can do that as an individual dancer feeling it but seeing the whole line where is it breaking down are the ends just uh mosh pits so yeah i i do enjoy calling so it's not just to test the dances out though i certainly abuse that privilege <laughs> well i think you know we're grateful to to you and to the San Diego community and your your other other participants who have you know created a lot of great material that is out in the world for many to enjoy. Because yeah, you only get to see the better stuff; they had to see all the stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and have you gotten into you know touring or traveling a little bit? Not really. Uh, we are we're speaking pre-COVID. Of course. Um, limited vacation, hard to figure out really how to get into that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, not really any knowledge. I when San Diego, I would sometimes call up in Los Angeles and once in a great while, which two hours away, and once in a great while, Santa Barbara, which was three and a half hours away without traffic. So that was four or five hours. Beyond that, it's been very rare. Um, occasional guest slot at NEFA, uh, one of four callers for Contra Weekend back in 2010, and occasionally calling when visiting family in New Jersey. But it's been it's been a rare thing, and I'm not. It's something I'd like. Ideally, I'd like to do some of, but being a touring caller seems exhausting. Yep, life on the road definitely. There's pluses and minuses, and when you've been in a new, you know, uh, a community other than your home community has has it altered anything for you as as a caller? How is it, you know, get, stepping in front of like a brand new crowd or a less familiar crowd? Uh, the biggest thing is have to do a little more. I can't just look at who's there and figure out how uh, ch- choppy or how hard I can get for this program or where I can go with that. 
Um, I have to do more subtle things like how many people are at the beginner session, how many regular dancers are at the beginner session, giving them all the wrong instructions, how they do with the first dance, and keep the first dance or two, of course, easier kind of thing. Do, uh, mm -hmm. do the big easy or something like that, or simplicity swing, see what happens. Yeah. And then there's, I, I guess, more pro programming flexibility. Yeah. So, yeah, writing dances, what can you say any more about why that that drew you in so much? Um, I like puzzles, I guess is one thing. And trying to create a dance is kind of a puzzle. And it's, it's, I also like creating stuff, so that's creating something new. And yeah, so I guess there's that aspect and also just very much the what if kind of thing. Thinking, trying to think not what just is Contradance currently, but what could it be given, this, given the crowd that's doing it. And just imagining kind of stuff. And then there's also the nice thing of you puzzle together something and it actually works out. And people either find it okay, or in some cases even like it. There's that nice thing too. And eventually you get to see some of your stuff done elsewhere, which is really cool, even by people you didn't know, so. Absolutely, I think I, I, think I first encountered your name on some of my dance cards oh. before, before meeting you at, at probably some dances in California or, or Ralph maybe. Page maybe. Oh, Ralph Page, of yeah, course. Yeah, I went, I went three times, once in 2010. I'm, I'm going to guess yep. that's... Good call. Yep, that was definitely a very favorite event of mine. And and uh, and many people, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only downside is it's February in uh, New Hampshire. Oh, my gosh. And it's just all... It always... It feels like it is always the coldest weekend of the year and like the snowiest it just, just always always has some like epic weather yeah. element but um, that, yes yeah, you're... It's, a, it's a very good time there yeah yeah and uh where does your interest lie with kind of understanding the like the historic arc of dance choreography well it got into because i was uh collecting contra dance well i started with started with youtube with um there yeah, i started watching contra dance videos and it got annoying to keep track of it once it got above 70 so i started uh labeling contra dances you mean in the comments in the comments yeah yes this is the other place i would run across chris page's name is yep. when i would be googling dances and somebody i was like somebody has identified what dance this is and then, then you realize, wait, I think it's the same person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Across many videos, uh, it's, it's, it's like ten thousand. 
That's amazing. Um, yeah, there was a dump done of all my comments. And at that point, it was like 8,000 or so. But, and there were a number that I could identify off right off the bat, or it had the smell of a Carrie Rabbit's dance. So I searched on his page for the figure and figured it would be easier. I just got in a caller's companion from Will Loving to, for my own collection. So I would no longer have to haul around 700 four by six cards all through NEFA. And decided why not do a version that has a lot of the online and book dances to make it easier to identify them. Then that got out of control and I just looked for more and more stuff to add. And it was just interesting to see what other dances were out there. So you have you have not only sort of a choreography um, spark, but like a cataloging. Yeah, very much librarian-esque. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So at first, was it just part of your exploring and finding out what's out there to be sort of combing through these different records, YouTube? Yeah, it was for that. It was for myself. It was also just to look at each individual dance and say use or not use and had a common field saying why I wouldn't want to use this or, hey, this is cool. Maybe I should use this kind of thing. I see. So part of this, you were serving and building your collection as a Yes, yeah, partly. Though before this, back in 2006, when I was writing, I went through every dance on the internet already. But this was more looking into the, more in depth. And by 2010, when I started this, there were more dances on the internet, too. Wow. And can you can you talk about what you're you kind of described it, but I, just, I like I like kind of hearing the different phrase, phases of your cataloging. So initially, were you just keeping your own records in like a spreadsheet or something? Or how did you keep track of what dances you've looked at besides notating them on YouTube itself? Did you have your own system or? Um, basically, I just looked. I remembered which books I'd looked through. And I just went through the websites in alphabetical order. And then and then you kept track of them somewhere? Not really. I only kept track of the ones I liked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, until I went to Caller's Companion with listing all the dances. I just wrote down the ones I liked and had like a stack of like 200 or 300 cards of I should call this at some point. So yeah, I was very much collecting when I called dances... I generally called dances that I had not danced, which is kind of unusual and kind of not recommended. But I think I did decently just because at that time I had a fairly good idea of what made a good dance just from writing some of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also feel like that's another advantage of working with a with a kind of local scene is you kind of you build a relationship with your dancers, with your local crew and and gain some trust i would imagine that there is yeah, a lot of yeah. trust yeah there was some trust there because some of the stuff turned out really well and and if something wasn't working really wasn't working well i'd kill it and then do something easier next right you take care of the dancers through that yeah that, i mean I, I i never blamed the dancers for messing up the dance sometimes they, i cry with a stronger crowd but an advantage of having dancers doing with actual dancers is that then the that tends to select against the very finicky dances that have 
problematic transitions unless the dancers are really on the ball. And those are less useful contras. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm sure over time too, people came to understand that you're, you're in a process that this is, was a large part of kind of who you are as a caller, as someone who's kind of constantly surveying and, and collecting and, and then figuring out how that broadens what you can, you can offer people. Maybe. They certainly knew about the writing part. I don't think they knew about the collecting part. Oh, for some, I, I think I'm a, I'm like a fellow. I have an urge to to collect and catalog, so that that like just sparks for me immediately. Um, okay, and so you started with cards. Sounds yeah. like stacks. How did you um you know keep them? Did you have like a filing cabinet? Or? Um, no, I had. I got um. I I got uh, from Staples a large. I started with these uh, little things that could hold 50, 100 cards, and I kind of blew past that and got a large uh, individual thing. And then uh, it started breaking, so a friend, Lori Weiss, got a craftsman tool bag to stick the whole thing in. Wow. And with that and duct tape, it kind of held together. So about that's. Wow, Chris is holding up his his well-loved 12-inch box with lots of duct tape on it. Unfortunately, the screen is fuzzy, but and... it's not small. <laughs> no, I, I refer to this brick for a reason, but it's more like a cinder block because it's got about seven hundred four by six note cards and maybe twenty or thirty dividers, and I still use that for local dances. It's just if I'm going somewhere, I leave that at home. It's just an extra, it's 12 pounds of luggage weight that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's something to consider when packing for sure. Um, what are, I'm curious what your, your dividers are. How do you organize okay, your cards? So dividers, let's see, there's a divider of dances to call that I haven't called yet. There's a large divider of contradances of other people. There's a divider of contradances of mine. And there's a number of things of unusual dances, triplets, uh, called squares, uncalled squares, three facing three, slip jigs, grid squares, small set dances, dance, dances without a partner swing, um, other Circle mixers, scatter mixers, triple minors. Those are all small categories at the end. But the big categories are uncalled, called, and called that I've written. And then within, because that, I mean, that category of dances written by you is is pretty big at this point, I'd yes. imagine. Do you have any any subdivisions or do you just no, kind of know? In alphabetical order. Oh, wow. Wow. And then Great. the dances of other people, I think are in alphabetical order by title if I've called them and by author if I haven't. And I have no idea why I did it that way. Mm, huh. I know. Isn't that funny how, like, however you kind of first started and implemented a system, it's hard. It just kind of grows around, around that. But, yeah. But as far as finding dances, I used to have individual note cards that said, like, all the dances without circle left or all the dances of the full hay or that kind of stuff. And now I can just search on Caller's Companion, uh, like call, search for dances I've marked as easy, 
with a neighbor swing kind of thing, or that uh, dances that don't that are intermediate that I really I'd give a high rating to that don't end with a chain star left. Was that a big um, a big move when Caller's Companion came along? Not really. Mostly it gave me security that even if I lost my box, I wouldn't lose the collection. Yeah, yeah, good backup. So mostly I was for backup purposes. Well, in in this vast surveying of, you know, thousands and thousands of dances that are that are out there, is there anything you can any wisdom you can share? Like what what have you what have you learned about uh, in particular dance choreography? Um, first of all, anybody can write them. So, uh, you've got no guarantee the dance will progress. <laughs> well, right. Something to check. Yeah. Yeah. Something to check. And different people have different sensibilities or motifs that they go through. Um, for instance, Carrie Ravis's first will be notated very precisely, but you'll often get his thing of like having the partner swing after the neighbor swing leads to interest, interesting contortions of his dance. And he often goes through phases. Like there was a phase where he wrote dances where uh, one partner goes to a different minor set and the other, you do the whole dance and then you get reunited stuff like that. Or Bob Isaacs often ends with a lady's chain star left for his dances or he has very interesting choices for like going to new dancers, hey, very much worrying about should you want to start passing by the left or by the right and who kind of thing. And they're more minimalist. So you'll see different callers have different aspects or like Rick Moore, since he avoids, he doesn't do swing, Jen Salaman left ones and half swing and avoid swing, circle left swing. He gets some very interesting dances where it's half Half a dance leads up the neighbor swing and half a dance leads up the partner swing. And they're both very interesting dances, but they're hard to find. Um, you also find interesting communities where you say, okay, these dancers are all dancing this particular kind of thing because this is what the caller does. Um, very simple dances. In one case, another case, there's a caller who has an odd mixture of Ralph Page dances and a 1980s modern Western square sensibilities. And she has it that you have eight slots for a move, but let's dancers work out the timing. So circle left once and pass through in one dance, maybe a lot the same timing as circle left a quarter pass through. Huh? So just, the dancers take their time. I presume so. Yeah, the dancers have learned to adapt to their time. Or, yeah, you see interesting ones. Um, in some of the uh, British ones, there's no problem with uh, not having a partner swing. And there's assumed to be more room in the center of the set, so you're more likely to run across a courtesy turn in the center of the set. Yeah. And so when you go to... um you know, to something like the Ralph Page Dance Legacy Weekend where mm -hmm. there's there's a greater focus on um, 
really kind of like the the roots of the New England yeah. style of con- contra dancing. Um, and, you know, the whole point of that weekend mm-hmm. is kind of to, to maintain some some connection to and sort of elevate the, some of those sort of foundational dances and, and collars and choreography. Um, when you're there, are you just kind of enjoying that, you know, being in that space with that f- focus? Or yeah. do you... Do you carry any of that historic knowledge into into writing new dances? Um, I've occasionally used old. <coughs> well, there's two groups. There's the traditional dances they're doing that were written before 1900, and there's the dances from the 1930s to roughly the 1980s. I sometimes think about the traditional ones because those are interesting. The 30s to 80s, most of the stuff has either become a core thing like Ioka Reel by Al Smith, where that was the big thing of you swing your neighbor on the side and instead of finishing where you started, you finish progressed with gent on the left, lady on the right. And that was a big new idea, but um, everyone does that now. Then there's some stuff that's interesting, but... I don't see that getting carried over. Like Mananak Reel has you, Alaman left your neighbor below and then one swing in the middle. The issue is that one side is going to have to turn halfway more than the other. Right. So you've got asymmetric speeds or you've got one person waiting for the other. And stuff like that, I don't see a good way of working in as dance currently exists with its people and I don't know if there's really a need for that part of the interest of those dances of the period is they were simple dances but there weren't many written so they were ones that got done and people did them over and over so they were smooth, able to smooth out any rough edges mm-hmm. kind of like now we don't have problem with up the hall line four bend the line circle left even though half the people are going in the wrong direction, going into that circle left. Right. Uh, So, and they tend to be easier dances, which is good, but then there's not as much of a space for creating new, really easy dances because many of them have been created or they're just slight permutations on the existing stuff. Yeah, how do you deal with that? Do you, because I guess it, when I and I, I'll just say that I've, I've never, I've never written a dance. I think back when I was first learning to call, I, I maybe experimented with like one. I can't even remember. It's just for whatever reason, it's not the, it's not a piece of this, you know, scene that uh, that I think I'm called to or, or called to or have like a. Um, a a talent for and I'm which is why I'm super grateful for the people who who do you know keep creating new material um as well as just you know the many many existing dances so I guess in when I think about contra dancing it seems mostly like we have a, a somewhat fixed vocabulary of of moves yeah. Of and then and then we have this container that we fit them into, which is generally, you know, the thirty-two bar fiddle yeah. tune. Um, is that ever limiting 
or is that are those constraints just kind of exciting because you you are challenged to find new ways to combine those elements? The constraints make it easier, really. I mean, I got to slap in a partner swing somewhere. I got to slap in a neighbor swing somewhere. So basically, I think of the cool figure, figure out how to get out of the swings and into the swings, and I'm done. Um, so, yeah, I think it just makes my life kind of easier. And while swinging isn't a constraint necessarily, it is a constraint based on the uh, group of dancers we've acquired, basically, that what we, the contra dances we do, trying to map on the contra dances, contra dancers we've acquired. So you can get something slightly outside of what they're expecting. But if you, we've really had so many years of being the swing is cool. And it is cool, at least for me. There are dancers for who isn't, especially those for the, that it hurts. And the other thing is you can try writing outside of the constraints, uh, other formations. I've also written, there are other musics, um, occasional band that wants to do something else, extra long tune. There was a while where one of the San Diego bands liked playing a slip jig set. So I had fun writing like a dozen slip jigs, including a triple minor slip jig contra. Uh, So, and I've occasionally gotten a challenge to write something for this. Like once there was one musician asked about double length tune, a little more than double length and what can you write for it? And that was a exercise and piece count, um, just not having too many different figures. So that can be interesting. Um, looking outside the boundaries, and sometimes when you look outside the boundaries, or even writing English country dance, you think that's a cool transition that I could then throw in a contra dance. And that's how my Poussette's swing dances wound up though they were a sure like a sure thing and that kind of thing i was originally trying to put poussettes into a slip jig and there's very little time in a slip jig uh, you only got 48 beats so i had to either transition from a swing to a poussette or a poussette to a swing and that's where i got the poussette swing transition by necessity of cramming it into this smaller package nice is that um is that transition something that like is that yours did, did, did as you best i it? know it's i came up with it without uh reading it from anyone else i don't think anyone else came up with it independently mm-hmm. i'm not positive um are, are there do you have other um sequences or or elements that you as far as you know are ones that you've originated Probably. Um, but once again, I don't know. I think Square Through to Long Waves and Chinese New Year was original. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought putting Three Ladies Chain in a triple minor was unusual until I found out Dudley Lofman did it many years, decades ago. Um, um, I'm also curious whether like, whether that's important to you. Like, to, like are you seeking to kind of break new ground in some ways or or just having fun (laughs) i'm trying to break new ground from what i knew because for me breaking new ground is fun yeah the thrill the thrill of of discovery exploring um i think also like doing a curse doing a pull by on the side to a courtesy turn on the side might have been new um i'm not sure 
Yeah, there, there may be some more individual things or, oh, and I thought, I think circulating on a diagonal, um, way before wow. and you circulate to the other thing was. Which dance is that? I don't know. 24 seven. It's one that I called once at actually an organizer's weekend. It went over well, but it's a hard dance. And I wrote a yeah. simple version called Kitty Corner. Hmm. Um, I, I, I'm super interested in this idea of um, mapping, mapping the dances that you write to the dancers. And because I think that that's a really interesting um, interplay for callers is, you know, you come in as as a leader, you know, you're in certain ways, you have a certain amount of authority to kind of shape the experience of, of the evening, um, or even longer term of, of a local dance community. Um, and you have you bring to it your own kind of tastes and, and interests. But then you are it, it, you're all always in conversation with those dancers. And sometimes you talk to callers who have been doing this for, for decades and have really seen a shift uh, in, in particular to some, uh, regarding choreography, the move away from, um, from dances that have inact that have inactive yeah. couples um, and things like that. So I wonder what your perspective is on um, on that relationship between what what dancers want and and kind of what callers want or what they're trying to do. Yeah, that's part of I think the generational clash within Contra. One of them, I mean, another is uh, Lady Jens versus Larks Robbins of one side wanting to do it how they've always done it. The I'm used to this, don't bother me, and the new ones wanting to do it their way and. Um, I think another, though this is more past, this is an older conversation, is the unequal, more traditional dances, the ones that they learned, versus uh, the newer, the new, quote unquote, newer, though we're looking at 90s, more all equal, rotationally symmetric dances. And there are certainly groups for which unequal dances would be better. Um, dancers that want to rest more chat more, enjoy watching people more, it, or it's what they're used to. Um, you also like what you're used to. And after you've been in Contra a while, you get used to whatever it was like when you came in. So you could certainly set up a community where you started with those dances and people like them. But taking a community that likes the all moving all the time, two swings in every dance, and inflicting the as a, the uh, stuff like uh, Royal Moore, where the twos do nothing except for all but eight beats, or even worse, triple minors. Um, that's not what they're expecting, so that's going to go over poorly. That's not the group that would appreciate them, since the dances already being all swing all the time have pre-selected for only those dancers. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think another thing is that, which some choreographers miss, is that contra dance is very much choreography for the participant. It's unusual. Most dance forms are very much also for the observer, and this is very much it's not for the it's not for the person outside at all. So 
all these elaborate patterns only mean something if it means something for somebody currently dancing it. Yeah, right. Which is why, like, you have you have to consider the dancers. It's yes, essentially for for them. Yeah, you can. Um, they can, they'll only do what they already want to do or what they would have wanted to do, but they didn't quite know it. Yeah. Yeah. I just I wanted to hear a little bit how how you think about a good dance. Like what what makes a dance good? Um what makes a good dance is something where the transitions all make sense. Oftentimes the transition is what you would expect due to dancing it over and over like um going from a chain to half a hay that's still that's a kind of an expected thing or circle left into swing or do si do into a way or it works well due to body momentum the, the dance goes with expectations except maybe in the key interesting bit that you want to emphasize um, and given all that then it should be the simplest possible kind of approach to that. That's not completely true, because if you have a really complex main part, having a somewhat complex thing for the other bits are okay. An example would be a Bob Isaacs dance, Vote With Your Feet, which has Petronella into a grand left and right, which goes into a neighbor swing. In the second half of the dance, he originally had circle left, three quarters, do si do, balance and swing your partner. But for the dancers that could handle the grand left and right, that was a bit too simple. So we updated to uh, chain, hey, balance and swing or something like that. I don't think that was quite it, but he changed it to something that involved a hey. That was fairly straightforward, but still a little had a little bit more to it. Um, also, and just checking to make sure that uh, the B2A1 transition is good. And uh, other things, there's something distinctive or special about the dance that it does really well, that um, it's hopefully not overly clockwise, that of course works for all roles, which now it's more encouraging of dancers dancing both roles. You rarely get callers who have only danced one role and you can tell it from the dances they wrote. Yep. That yep. was the syndrome back 20, 30 years. Of right. So when you're writing a dance, well, how, how do you do it? Are you, are you picturing, are you visualizing yourself as a dancer? I'm picturing my head uh, and putting together my head. For keeping track of stuff, I need to know where I am. I need yeah. to know, is my partner, is partner on my side or across from me? And with as long as ones and twos are symmetric, you can figure out where your same role neighbor and opposite role neighbor are. And if your partner is in another set, 
the shadow is in the same place your partner would be. So usually I, I just need to keep track of where I am and where the other person is. And if I'm using standard transitions, I know they work. I don't have to think through in detail. Is circle left three quarters, balance, California twirl, good for everybody. People have done enough. It is. And I can think through the other transitions, see how it works. Occasionally I'm wrong. It gets tested on the dance floor, but usually right, I think about it from both roles, uh, gents, ladies, larks, robins. Um, and often what I'll do is, because I'm thinking through my head, I'll think, well, what if this, what if this, what if that? And just try different things. What if uh, the swing was on the other side? How could I connect things up? And you're just trying to build out from a central piece and then sewing them together. Usually the last thing I do is progression because it's often easy to add a progression. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, you can always have shift before a circle or slice instead of long lines or there's a number of ways to just and sometimes you just get the progression naturally through the dance. And do you ever um, use any like external aids? Do you, you know, salt and pepper shakers or, you know, Lisa Greenleaf has talked about diagramming dances. Um, you keep it all in your head. I mostly keep in my head. Sometimes I will diagram, especially if I'm trying to understand an asymmetric dance where you leave your minor set like Cammy Caner's I lost my appropriately titled I lost my partner kind of thing. And there I use what Lisa Greenleaf does with um, I use M and W for men and women, M1, W1, M2, W2, and just track where they go through the whole thing. Uh, for four facing fours, I inherited somehow dance set of square dance checkers, which are eight little tiles you can maneuver around and show corner relationships when you line them up. Those are for modern Western square dance. Um, so yes, sometimes I'll break it out, but for contras, it has to be unusual. Partly just because I can go, okay, so it's like Brimmer and May Real, got it, or something like that. And then, of course, there's always the moment of truth where you have real dancers and you have to see how they, they match up to what's yeah, been going I, on in your head. Yeah, I do the dubious thing of calling it without working on hands four on the side. I'm usually good enough. It usually doesn't blow up my face. There are two or three times where I've had to correct, edit the dances. I'm rewrite the dance on the floor. As you're once, teaching it. Yeah. Okay, instead of Jen Salomon left once and a half, we got to have ladies Alman right once and a half to get everybody on the right side. But that's 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 thankfully been a very unusual thing. It's more likely to crash because of more subtle things that I didn't yeah. anticipate. Do you have a favorite or do you have any, you know, particular dances that you've written that you feel feel really happy about? Uh, a lot of them. I'd say uh, Cretion Reel, which is a scatter mixer, I like yes. a lot. Me too. Uh, yeah, that was that was written after a dance I went to in Anaheim where every dance kept crashing over and over, partly because of caller's choice and partly because they were some really weak dancers on the floor. And basically figure, well, what if I wrote a dance that did crash automatically every time through? <laughs> Exactly. Accretion Reel is, is a, a scatter mixer and yeah. there is a moment when everybody is just by themselves yeah. walking walking around the room. It's yeah. it's such a great dance. Um, yeah. it, it's a great teaching dance, a great beginner dance to just yeah. get, get people going. 
Yeah, another that I like was a TLC Tempest, which was my putting three ladies chain into tr my breaking both figuring out both triple minors and uh, putting three ladies chain in a dance. That was one I was really happy with. And another was True Grit, which is basically just a glossary dance. Uh -huh. But it's the, f the first half is kind of symmetric with um, Ladies Alman right once and a half, swing your partner, Gents Alman left once and a half, swing your neighbor, long lines. And then it does just two cool transitions. It's a star right into right and left through, like from Rod's Grits. And then that goes into a star left. So you have the crazy turn starlet, and then that opens up the ladies for the next ladies to Alman right. So it's just one I feel I was really lucky to find. Because there have been a number of attempts around that area, and even one close hit with Ken Gall, I'll let you have a special day. But are are dances new dances always kind of floating around in your head or, or bits of dances? Not as much. I think I've written a lot of what I want to say, but I've said that a couple times before. I mean, certainly during the pandemic, writing a couple of those doublets was interesting. Singlets and doublets was interesting. It's a different form with the two person and the four person dances. Yeah. So can you, that's interesting. I haven't talked about that with, with anyone. So you're, so you're during the pandemic as you know, this is the history. Yes. Yeah. Right. So lot, lots of different, um, people found a lot of different creative ways to stay connected to, to contra dancing and, and experience some of that connection and, and movement over zoom. Like, you know, every, everything went to zoom. And so people started writing dances that were specific to that setting. So that's a totally different, like mapping a dance onto, um, dancers who are at home, maybe by themselves, maybe with one other person dancing with the screen. So did that, yeah, that kind of gave you a whole new setting to think yeah. about choreography. Yeah. yeah. I was chatting with people who were calling these dances. I couldn't just cause I had such a poor internet connection at that time, but yeah, just, and just dancing along with the music by myself and thinking what would feel good kind of thing. So that was very much a doing in the place and also just thinking, okay, well, how would I, I can, since I can imagine people, I could do anything. Why not one person or two people just doing a grand square like thing. Mm -hmm. And just, and it was also, you could look at a different set of figures. For instance, suddenly half figure eight no longer had the problem that, well, two people aren't moving. Well, the other two people don't exist. That's right. Or contra corners. What if your corner is in the, what if you're looking for your corner in the wrong place? So what? <laughs> I was blown, blown away that, that, uh, yeah, the creativity that, that came out of that, that moment. I didn't see it coming. I didn't either. Nobody <laughs> did. We would have been in our bunkers. Yeah. Singlets, doublets. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious to sort of see what happens down the line. What will there ever be like historic recreations of pandemic era Zoom dances, or will we yep. want to forget it all? <laughs> the other nice thing is you have some dances that are small out, so small out here. Late in the evening, you might only have two or four people or at the beginning, so right. those are also useful to pull out for those situations. And not, they're mostly dead, not completely dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, put them in the back of the box, yep. see what happens <laughs> or yes. the, or the, you know, virtual box.
Yeah, either that or go to a dance weekend where everybody's expecting contras and just call the singlet and have a good uh, have a good escape path. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, this is so fun. I I I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of your. It sounded like you have kind of had a, a mentorship role with with Bob Isaacs um, and Jim Kitch, and I'm just curious. Well, if not you... so much Jim Kitch. He was more okay. But I watched what he did. Um, he did the workshop things, I see. which was useful. But I didn't talk to him as much one on one. I was probably intimidated by him. Mm-hmm. Where Bob, I was intimidated by Bob, Bob but he came over and uh, talked to me. So that was. Um, you talk about other mentors. Well, maybe hearing a little bit more about about Bob. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I. But Bob was interesting. We first strongly met when I went to my first contra dance weekend, um, Victoria's Revenge, which was an hour and a half drive, like five months after I did contra, and we actually carpooled together. Which is interesting, and I was, you know, with the Princeton group sharing a, uh, well whatever the equivalent of B&B house was. That's where I first got to talk. And we talked about what was cool and what wasn't and started talking. And I was, he probably does have the number of people, but I was probably one of the few people that was interested in talking back to him about that. (laughs) Thinking about it. Yeah, because he has, I mean, I know Bob a little bit, but how would you, um, you know, introduce him? I mean, I just know that he's written like thousands of dances. At least a thousand dances. Um, yeah. And, so he's and, just uh, another one who is, who's drawn to that. Yeah. To that process. Yeah, that's very much his thing, even more so than me, I think uh-huh. that he'll often write like the told like 10 or 20 dances and select one or two of the best ones. And yeah, he has well over a thousand dances. The book that he's been working on forever has like 300 of his best ones and hopefully that will come out but a lot of them are in circulation and they're a really good yeah and he's also just a really good caller as far as understanding the crowd and getting the crowd going and mm-hmm. he's also interested in different formations different ones than i am but he's very much like the grid square the progressive square which is really yes. cool yes four face four well we're both do four face fours and he once again has a very, he's trying, like each dance has one interesting transition and the rest is very minimalist around that. Very, um, everything fits very nicely in it. Um, he'll often explore a motif a lot more than I will. I'll write one or two and then get bored. So um, like with a vertical hay where you're weaving on the side back and forth, write a number of that and see which ones work the best or uh, Petronella into a weave the line kind of thing. Or So he'll explore things a lot more thoroughly than I will. Yeah. But yeah, and yeah. he's been cool to bounce stuff off of. We've actually occasionally written stuff together just with driving or talking or that kind of stuff. And early on, I bounced a number of my ideas off of him have there been other significant mentors for you um early on um yeah i got a number of them in philadelphia for my first dance i talked for an hour or two with ridge kennedy about how to dance it how to call over the phone that was my introduction to learning how to call i hadn't taken a workshop or anything like that 
Um, Donna Hunt. For, sorry, I'm just going to just this is also part of this is just sort of like general contradance oral history. So and I actually don't I don't know Ridge Kennedy. Ridge Kennedy is a caller from New Jersey. Um, he's more of the traditionalist mindset. He actually started up the tra Trad L uh, listserv on Yahoo and maintained mm. that. Got it. But yeah. Uh, Sam Rotenberg was a number that helped, helped some with me focusing on learning early, easy dances and getting those down. Another big one was Donna Hunt of the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. I had already known her because she juggled. So oh. uh, my waltz, my original waltzing with her was a three count club pat drawing pattern. So that's what I, that's the only thing I knew was a waltz at first. So nice. But I talked with her about a number of stuff, how to plan evening, ethical issues, uh, feedback, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I had a number of help from there. Had some help in San Diego, and also there was a really good caller of squares and contras who really understood the history in los angeles called james hudson yes yeah so he was also someone i really looked up to and with english um we were fortunate enough to get a caller from the bay area often sharon green huh nice so nice well and i mean again we're we're in an odd moment but you know what's What's on your um, What's on your list for the future? You know, hopes and wishes for for writing dances, for calling. You know, for calling, hoping the things will get to the point where I feel comfortable calling again. Mm -hmm. um, I I moved up to Los Angeles uh, six months, five months before the pandemic started, so I just barely started to uh, call dances here, and everything went kabloop. Um, so. I hope to get back to that, but I'm not as comfortable as some people are. So this may be a year or so. Mm -hmm. um, writing, we'll see. I may have written most of what I wanted to. On the other hand, I may get inspired more. And I said, there have been several times where I've said I've written most of what I want to, and then I've written other stuff. Um, also, probably writing some more English country, though that either requires researching tunes or um, knowing musicians who can create tunes kind of thing. And yeah. That's another thing. I'm certainly always interested in stuff with callers box, um, with talking to people, finding out what their dances are. Uh, just did a big order from CDSS about books from of American dances from the late 1700s, very early 1800s, to figure out what the choreography really was like then. That's really cool. Yeah, can you can you say more about Caller's Box? Um, yeah, so there've been there've been a survey of contra callers. Basically their biggest need was a contra dance database. I was with one or two groups where there were large groups trying and it kind of broke down. And then Michael Dick or Michael Dick, sorry, um contacted me because we contacted some before when I was getting impatient with this indexing and just asked, can I go ahead and index these Ralph Page syllabi for you? And he knew that I had a large database and asked, are you willing to try and do something with it? And he's handled a lot of the, he's handled the front end and helping me 
uh, turn the database into something with regularized terminology, just like breaking down, here's a file with every single line, every single dance organized by how often it appears. And what should we, what should we do about the inconsistency of comma versus semicolon, that kind of thing. So we did that for like three years, I think, um, 10,000 dances, and then put it online. And other people have been very nice to contribute their missions for their dances. I've tracked down some, trying to track down others and add other dance sources. And that's an ongoing thing, but it's been very interesting. That's really cool. I'm yeah, you know, it's like I just like did a quick Google to remind myself. I'm like, oh yeah, I've definitely seen this and used this. I also I also haven't thought about it in a couple of years, so I got, you know, I'm also sort of slowly getting back into it. So, I'd forgotten that this existed. I definitely remember that survey and and people wishing for something like this, and I think, you know, I I don't know that I realized it had come so far. So, yeah. this is you building on Michael Dick's work, indexing work yeah. or, or kind of, and bringing it together with some of your work. Yes. Yeah. Because he hadn't recorded instructions for dances kind of thing. Yeah. So, or he had, I think on some sort of personal thing, but they hadn't been well organized. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I do the entry and finding other sources for dances, often going into the obscure, like, went through Northeast Square Dancer magazine, had a wow. column by Herbie Gaudreau, who did Beckett Reel, and, but he wrote a hundred other dances and just transcribing those in and actually figuring out what how they worked because mm-hmm. it's notated very differently. Just poking into all sorts of odd corners and also just emailing people and getting emails from people, hey, could you include these dances kind of thing, get collections that way, like, Luke Donforth just uh, gave me his version of Caller's Companion and said, put them all in. Yep, another um, another amazing um, mind for dance choreography and and uh, try you know trying trying things that haven't been done yet and seeing yes, how they work. Yes. <laughs> I picked up some good dances from that too. So yeah, wonderful! What an amazing resource. So I'm excited to to share that. You know, and this is just the kind of thing where. I think callers play a particular role in, you know, uh, whether whether they're, you know, as deeply involved as you are in terms of, of kind of being memory keepers. But but what is it about the caller role, you think, that that um, lends itself to being a keeper of sorts of the of of kind of community memory and like the form of because um, because because since you're one of the organizers you care more i guess mm-hmm. or yeah you also i mean if you're not a caller you're not really exposed to details of contradance sequences yeah yeah I'm, so you wouldn't get the exposure to find out whether you're obsessed. There, there are exceptions, like uh, Al Olson is an exception. And Gene Hubert was almost an exception. He didn't call much. Hmm. He just wrote, he, these are people he mostly who... Mostly wrote, is my understanding. Yeah, yeah. I know Al Olson was not a caller. But wrote a bunch, isn't that? Yeah, wrote that's hundreds. so interesting. Yes. He had Larry Jennings to convince other callers to call this stuff, or maybe he right. did it himself. I don't know which. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is just sort of, you're the first caller choreographer that I've talked to. You know, I'm just getting started with this project, but it's, I'm just starting to envision, you know, exploring this, this corner more and um, you're, you're giving me lots of great <laughs> fodder and things to think about. Um, has your interest ever waned or have you ever felt like you're, you know, you I, was kind of... I was feeling a little burnout with Contra towards the end in San Diego because it was getting to be about 20 dancers and there would be in every hand we'd have like four or five that were petrol beginners to the point of not being able to end a swing on the correct side and do a swing on the side of the set so that got very exhausting to put out energy for that and that was yeah. a good some burnout now i have had uh, a nice uh, rest period thank you covid uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah may come back brand new and fresh when the time is right Yes. So, but that's the only time I can think of. Thankfully, I haven't done huge amounts on the road. So that's, I haven't had to deal with burnout you, there. I haven't gotten that. Yeah. 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 Nice. Um, well, I have three questions that I have been closing yeah. these interviews with. And one we've actually already talked about extensively, which is to, to hear about, you know, kind of your, your dance filing system. Yep. Um, which I, I've just, I'm just enjoying all of the different ways that callers, um, are you also a caller who keeps a record of your programs called every, every um, yes, I'm even more obsessive about that. And you can actually, <laughs> well, because you can find them on my website, actually, if you look at um, schedule, you can find, except for the two dance I did in 2003, you can find, uh, over in the left programs for every dance I've called. Those are mostly for me, but if anybody else wants to look at it, including noting occasionally I did a fun program like I did one was the history of contra dance, Fine. starting with Jefferson's reel and uh, ending up with uh, some modern bicoastal contra. Nice, yeah. Um. Okay, and then another closing question is, do you have any um, pre or post gig rituals, like anything that you do to kind of get ready and then wind down? Not much. Pre gig, one thing I do is on the drive over, I usually play contra music and just uh, go through the whole program, just wow, do the yeah. calls for each dance. Because I, I've memorized a lot of dances and I can usually memorize a program beforehand so that I only need the cards for reminders or something. Um, so just going through that and kind of a medley kind of thing is, uh, other than that pre other, just really the standard things, doing the beginner session, uh, opening up the card box, getting a glass of water, uh, fighting for a place on stage if there is a stage. <laughs> in San Diego there wasn't um and and a dance go home and collapse yeah yep <laughs> nice and lastly if if you know do you identify as an introvert or an extrovert introvert uh yeah the reason why I can do calling is because um I have a purpose behind the microphone. 
There's a reason why I'm up there. And I got used to addressing crowds back when I had Boy Scouts. I was senior patrol leader for two years, and I had to out-talk 20 rambunctious kids without a microphone and talk about whatever. <laughs> so there I got over public speaking. So I'm a shy person whose one exception is public speaking is not a problem. Huh. Um, it was, It's not – it doesn't make me nervous, for instance, to uh, call it NEFA where you've got however many 11, 12 lines – yeah. <laughs> but no, otherwise I'm very much an introvert. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so far in my list it, it, it seems like more more callers are introverted than than extroverted and uh and I often hear something like like that. It sort of gives you a a defined way to be be in a yeah, large group crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike being at a cocktail party and having to do random conversation with random people. <gasps> yeah, so hard. <laughs> I I also I am also hardcore introvert. So <laughs> and this is also why interviewing is um is feels like an easier way for me to to be with people too. You have a contact. It's nice to have a little structure. <laughs> um well thank you so much, Chris. Any like anything any last lingering things i'm feeling like i've we've covered a lot of ground um there's one one bit of ground to cover i think the fact that contradancing doesn't have a ruling body to decide of things like formats or what dances are done or what to call things is a good thing because mm -hmm. i've seen what happens to modern western square where they're so codified in a particular box, they can no longer get out of it. I mean, one time they tried changing the numbers, the order of the various figures they taught for the basic program by the number and got complaints from callers who had organized all their boxes by the numbers in front of them. And don't you dare change that. It'll mess me up forever. So I think having a more loose structure is um, good. And yeah, as far as the Larks Robbins thing, I think that each generation has to take ownership of it. If you want the new generation, you have to give them ownership of the new thing. And this is something that's important to them. And I also don't think it's going to hurt anything. It's not going to damage contradancing in the same way. I mean, something that would damage would be having advanced dances only. That would be a way to damage contradancing. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to hurt contradancing. I think some contradances that have unusual un end effects will fade more, will get used less because of which mm -hmm. side you're on. Mm -hmm. But if we lose some of the complex dances, that's probably all for the better. Speaking of someone who's written. Quite a few, yeah. Yeah, speaking about, you know, even if half of them go away, that still leaves half and that's almost three digits worth so you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's a really good point about about taking ownership and kind yeah. of the the decentralized um yeah. nature of of this tradition you know it's challenging but it's also so interesting like the many different pathways uh, that that there are for things to to continue and to to grow and change <laughs> Um, and some things happen just through folk process because it's more useful. Most people use neighbor rather than corner. Or right. Chain rather than half chain. Yeah. 
Did you, as you were kind of get finding your place in the, um, you know, the dance, dance scene, did you ever, um, feel any moments of, of tension or feel like you were, you were at a moment where you, you were kind of make, making it your own and were you experiencing any generational, you know, intergenerational tension or um, otherwise? Yeah. The uh, role name things weren't really hitting much in Los Angeles and San Diego. Los Angeles, one group of younger dancers had just created their own dance where they did it. Um, the gypsy terminology versus uh, whatever you replace it with has caused some conflict with the why don't you call it what I've always, always known it to be. Um, but it has not caused serious conflict. And there have been, you know, no matter what decision you make, you'll have people unhappy. I mean, mm -hmm. people that are unhappy that it got changed from Raven to Robin, for instance, because mm -hmm. I just got used to that way before. But there haven't been any serious breaks. Um, that was, yeah, that's a great... Um that those are great reflections to end on. And, and it's been great to just get to know you a little bit more. We have, you know, certainly, certainly the longest we've ever gotten to chat. So I really appreciate it. Hopefully sometime we're in the both in the same region. Chat again. Yeah. I'm Down hoping so both on, both on the same dance floor, even. A big thanks to Chris for talking with me. Check out the show notes at podcast.cdss.org to learn more about his calling and dance writing. You'll also find a link to the callers box, which is well worth a visit. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams and me, Mary Wesley. Thanks to Great Meadow Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jane Orzachowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit podcasts.cdss.org for more info. The views expressed in this podcast are of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of CDSS. Hey, from the mic listeners, it's Mary Wesley in my closet. <laughs>